Amber Alert for a little girl in Saskatchewan has been expanded into... We were sitting outside, we heard him shooting. He's now facing 15 charges. In eight of Canada's 13 provinces and territories, crime is up. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Shelley. And welcome to a new episode of True North Crime. Yes, the podcast where we discuss a crime in Canada and then some element of the law. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> and we just want to start this week um, with a big shout out and a big thanks to Tuned In in Saskatchewan, who took the time to write us a very detailed review. Um, we are listen- You listen to us and we are listening to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we asked for you guys to give, you know, constructive criticism and you did. And we appreciate it because we want to do this better, but not because we're listening to jackasses. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you so very yeah. much. Well-formulated critiques are welcome. <laughs> they certainly are. Um, okay. So how you doing real quick? I'm good. Just walking dogs, doing stuff. Excellent. You know, went to Toronto, got some Ikea stuff. That's it. <laughs> you Pretty good. Spent the last two days at a conference. So out of the office, it was nice. So this week's case is the terrible story of William Chandler Shrubsall. He is a piece of work, this guy. Oh my God. Okay, so I should just note here, there is a publication ban on the names of his victims. So these women are identified by their initials. Okay. So no first or last names. For some of these people, that is that what initials about. mean? Thanks. Uh, <laughs> All right. Are you Get ready? Okay. Yes, I'm here, ready. Let's here go. We go. In the early morning hours of June 22nd, 1998, police were called to the Sigma Chi Chai Sigma Chai fraternity house at Dal or Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. There they found KC, who'd been beaten, choked, and sexually assaulted. The attack and her screams had woken up the other guys living in the house, and they intervened and phoned the cops. And her attacker, who lived in the house, he fled. This guy's name was Ian Thor Green. And earlier that night, Green had met KC at a club called The Dome, and they returned to his room. She then decided she wanted to leave, and used his phone to call for a cab, and that's when he attacked her. In his version of the story, she was giving him a massage and put a tie around his neck, and he freaked out about having something around his neck. Right, and so he beat her so, almost to death. Yeah. Because that's justification. Because, yeah, that's how you react to... Yeah. 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 Um, no matter what, his story, kind of weak. Yeah. <laughs> so... Detective Tom Martin was one of the responding officers, and both he and the other police at the scene were pretty sure that the guy who did this, because it was such a risk attacking a woman like this in his room. Um, so it, so the, basically they were kind of sure that it was like cocky, essentially. The cocky nature of it had been in, like indicated that he had done it. Like well, a pre- previous cases yeah, in the same house? or No, no, no. I think the idea is that you know, someone who's going to attack a woman like this and beat her up probably is going to do it somewhere a little bit more private and secluded. Right. Got it. And then if you keep attacking women and you keep not getting caught, eventually... Right. You become more brazen, Exactly. So gotcha. this attack was in a house full of people. Right. Uh, so detectives, you know, who responded to this attack, they're like, yeah, this guy probably has done this more than once. 
Gotcha. So Detective Martin got a search warrant for the room, and he noted that there weren't a lot of personal effects lying around, which is weird for a young adult living away from home, Mm -hmm. or maybe really for anyone for that matter, right? Yeah, okay, I get it. He's got nothing. He owns nothing. A little bit weird. Yeah. Or just like you can't learn anything about this person from snooping through his room. Right. And that's unusual. It's like it's staged home, essentially. Almost, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Gotcha. So, but Detective Martin, he did find some personal effects. He found a wallet and a purse that belonged to two different women. So the wallet belonged to T.D., And T.D. was known to police because on February 22nd, 1998, she was working at the Great Northern Knitters factory outlet when someone came into the store, beat her with a baseball bat. What? And robbed the place. Yeah. Why would you rob a knitting outlet? Well, I think it was really more about just beating this person. Okay. Yeah, the robbery was Maybe on the side. Okay. All right. Because that doesn't seem like a likely place for a heist. Well, he made he, he made off with a whole hundred and twenty bucks. One hundred and twenty, right? So, but this woman, so this poor woman, um, people believe that the only reason she in fact survived this attack is because of how close the hospital was to where she right. worked. She he hit her so hard that she had like a depressed fracture in her skull, oh, and she had to be, like, put into this medically induced coma. She had metal plates in her head. Yeah. Wow. So the police knew about her because she had there was this terrible, violent attack, and they never found who did it. Right. Got it. So now they've got this connection. Okay. So um, that was about the purse belonged to a 19-year-old TJ who was sexually assaulted and robbed on May 4, 1998. Mm-hmm. So she had been in a bar and she was walking home alone and she felt like she was being followed. And so she had her keys in her hand, like to protect herself. If she oh, like to. we're all told that will totally save our lives when it's, we're kids. Yeah. She was ambushed from behind. Yeah. And beaten so badly that her contact lenses had to be surgically removed. Oh. Yeah. How does that even happen? He slammed her face into the concrete. Oh. Yes. So how can you, like, not, like, her eyes were so swollen that her contacts had, like, how did your contacts not come out at all? Yeah. Like, just the nature of the beating. Oh, God, that's terrible. Yes. So if you're wondering about the sexual component... Not really, but go on. <laughs> her attacker masturbated on her. Oh, lovely. After pounding her head into the ground. So, yeah, it's gross. Mm. So, constables Penny Hart and Jim Perrin had the task of speaking with Green's acquaintances in order to figure out where he went, right? Because he did a runner mm-hmm. after he beat up KC. So they went to this one apartment, and it took a really long time for the person to answer the door. And when this guy finally did come to the door, he didn't have a whole lot to say. Right. And then when the constables left, this other dude came up to them, and they're like, hey, are you here looking for somebody? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, well, I just saw a guy jump off the balcony. 
Wow. And so they could, like, in the distance, they could see this guy, Ian Thorpe. Like running away? Like running away from them. That's kind of comical as an image, but terrible. (laughs) Yes. But, like, you know, good thing this guy was there to be like, yeah. yeah." So he's, you know, he's jumped out the balcony. He's down the street. So the officers gave chase, uh, running through alleys and backyards before they actually caught him. Mm Mm-hmm. So they take him to the to the I was about to say the gas station. They take him to the police station. Okay. <laughs> I don't nice. know where that came from. I don't know either. <laughs> and when Green was asked about the wallet or the purse he um or the woman that he had attacked in his room, he refused to speak. But when asked about his personal life, he just wouldn't shut up. He told Detective Martins a sob story about how both of his parents had died in the Yukon and that he'd moved all the way across the country to get away from the memories. And it was a really, it was a good story, like a real tearjerker. Wow. But Detective Martin, he wasn't buying it. He knew this guy was lying, like just sort of in his gut. Right. So, of course, the police, they ran his name and his fingerprints. Um, but the only thing that really came back on Ian Thor Green was a solicitation charge from 1997. Gotcha. Okay. Where he tried to buy sex from an undercover police officer. Right. Which would have been like a year before at this point, right? Yeah. And he paid a hundred dollar fine and that was the end of that. hundred bucks. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can pay it with the whole 120. You just got out of the knitting factory. Well, there you go. <laughs> so that's it on this guy. Like they have no idea who this person is. Right. But again, like the detective is like, there's just some, there's something about this guy. Well, he's also like attacked two people at this point or they don't know that. Well, they, I, they, I mean, the assumption is made that he did it because he's got the wallet oh, and the yeah. purse in his room well, exactly. where he okay. attacked a third woman. So they're going to be digging in, into this guy a little deeper. Yeah, obviously. but they can't find any, like, it's like he doesn't exist, essentially. Because he doesn't. Because it's not actually his name. <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, this guy Green, he had been in trouble with the police before, in addition to the solicit- solicitation charge. He was on probation for criminal harassment. Because he'd stalked his ex-girlfriend after she broke up with him. Oh, good. So he's a stalker, so, and he obviously has a thing against women. Yes. Bit of a psychopath. Right. But he again, like... shit out of women on a regular basis. Yeah. And is very cocky and brazen about it. Yes. Also, went by a bunch of different names. Yes. So for the complicating issues of trying to figure out who exactly this person is, he called himself Ian O'Leary, Daniel Green, and Joe Thunder. Joe Thunder? That's an <laughs> alias? Is that like Max Power That's from a- The Simpsons? <laughs> Jesus. Exactly what I was thinking. Oh my God. He got it off a hair dryer. <laughs> anyway, go on. In late July... Having made no headway in finding out who Green really was, the police released his picture to the media, and it ran on The National, which is a primetime news program here in Canada. And The National can be seen by Americans who live near the border. Mm -hmm. Like, we pick up TV from the U.S., specifically in our area, from upstate New York. Mm -hmm. So later that night, after The National ran, Detective Martin got a phone call from Detective Frank Coney in Niagara Falls, New York. And this is this is Detective Martin recalling his conversation with Detective Coney. Coney asked him, you got that fucking guy? Are you fucking sure you got that fucking guy? Really? <laughs> Martin answered, yeah, he's in a cell. To which Coney replied, don't turn your back on that fucker. Wow. 
<laughs> so the cops really had a good idea on this guy being super dangerous. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Detective Burton met with Detective Coney, um, and he finally got the whole story on Ian Thor Green, beginning with his real name, William Chandler Shrubsall. Nice. Shrubsall was a 27-year-old American fugitive with a rap sheet that included harassment, stalking, assault, sexual abuse, and manslaughter. Manslaughter? Manslaughter. We'll get to that. Did he break out of prison or something? Oh, oh we'll get I'll, let, I'll tell you what happens. Okay. So he also had dozens other allegations against him in which charges were never laid. Um, probably because of like lack of evidence could like they wouldn't bring it to trial it all started back in 1988 on the eve of his high school graduation mm-hmm. so shrubsall was about to graduate at the top of his class and was going to give the valedictorian address he was the valid victorian yeah but he killed his mother that night and instead oh, of going well, to commencement that's a good way to get out of a speech he went to jail no, no he was <laughs> I don't a lot of people are afraid of talking in the crowds and like would rather be dead than actually give a, a eulogy at a right. funeral, right? So, he so someone instead, you know, yeah, you just get out of the eulogy or the valedictorian speech by beating your mother to death. Yep. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So this guy Shubsal, he had a girlfriend that his mother didn't like. Mm-hmm. She thought the girlfriend was a distraction. Obviously, not that much of a distraction because he was graduating at the top of his class and was valedictorian. Right. Right. But I guess it didn't matter to her. Uh, when Trevsall came home well past his curfew, he and his mom got into a fight. According to Shrubsall, the fight escalated and he feared his mother would really hurt him. And because she had threatened, she's like, I'm going to kill you. And then she shoved him. So he grabbed the first thing that came to his hand, which was a baseball bat, and he hit her with mm-hmm. it more than once. He bludgeoned her to death and then he called 911. The police arrived, as did his girlfriend, and questioned him in the home before bringing him to the police station. And according to the girlfriend, he acted like it was no big deal that he just killed his mother. And he even said as much, like, out loud. This isn't such a, this is, you know, it's no big thing. So he's a total psychopath. Total psychopath. He was charged with second degree murder. Mm -hmm. His lawyer prepared to mount a version of the battered wife defense. Some years earlier, he had successfully argued his client suffered from battered wife syndrome, and he hoped the same thing would happen for Shrubsall. And there was some dealing back and forth and an attempt to have Shrubsall tried as a youthful offender, and eventually he pled guilty to manslaughter. And he spent 16 months in prison. Hmm. After prison... So he served his time. Shrubsall right. went to university, an Ivy League school, no Ooh, less. I'm pretty Where'd he go? Sh- I think it's not stated, but I think it was University of Pennsylvania. Hmm. He then returned home to Niagara Falls. Um, and if I'm pretty, it's likely that he probably made a nuisance of himself at university in Niagara Falls. He was definitely causing problems for the women there. Well, yeah, if he had all these charges that the buddy had pointed out earlier. Yes. In August 1995, the then 24-year-old Shrubsall sexually assaulted a 17-year-old girl. Nice. And unlike some of the other charges against him, this one actually went to trial. And Shrubsall, he was out on bail while he was on trial. And Mm -hmm. then one morning, he just didn't show up to court. 
So he just took off. He left a suicide note for his aunt, claiming that he was going to throw himself over the falls. This happened on May 14, 1996, and despite his absence, the trial carried on, and he was found guilty in absentia. So, two days after William Chandler Shrubsall killed himself, I'm using air quotes, a guy no one had ever heard or seen before, heard of or seen before, checked himself into the Metro Turning Point Shelter in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Nice. Um... While in Halifax, he worked as a telemarketer. He played on a baseball team. He tried to enroll in grade 12. Did he really? Yeah. He's 24 years old. Wow. He might have well, been 25 at the time. Well, whatever. I mean, there's always mature students. Some people go to school later. No, I, but I think he was trying to enroll as like a 17-year-old. Oh, so he was, okay. So he was trying to pass himself off for someone much younger. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Not as like a mature student at okay. like that night their, school or anything their, like right. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but his best scam was bilking churches out of money. Before Detective Martin released Shrubsall's image to the national media, he first released it locally, like just in the Halifax community, you know, in a sort of like a call for help. Do you know mm. this person? And a minister, I want to say minister, might have been a priest. I'm sorry. I don't know exactly came forward and said that he had written some checks for this guy on the news to help him pay for university. And he and it was it wasn't Shrubsall's name. He was going by Green at the time. And I don't know if Shrubsall had actually enrolled in school, like was actually a student at Dalhousie. Uh, but the friends he made there believed that he was pre-med Right. And he'd managed to talk his way into living at the Sigma Chi 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 fraternity house. Right. So at Dalhousie. At Dal yes, everybody believed he was a student there. Okay. Um, but he, I don't think that he was. I think he was just pocketing, excuse me, pocketing these checks that he was getting from the church. Hmm. Shrubsall was tried separately for each of the three attacks, right? So they find out who this guy is and they can build their case and go to trial. So it was three separate trials. They didn't combine them. And there was actually a fourth sexual assault charge, but it was dropped because the Crown didn't think it could win that case. Right. So I really, like, I have no information about that at all. Oh, my heart goes up to that poor woman. I know. It's awful, right? No oh. real, real justice for her. So in addition to the assault and sexual assault charges, he was also tried for stalking his ex-girlfriend. Oh, good. And he pled guilty to violating the Immigration Act. Okay. <laughs> for entering Canada. Canada no. He entered Canada illegally? No, actually, sorry. It was for working illegally in Canada. Oh, it wasn't for entering illegally? <laughs> It was for working illegally because he didn't have a work permit. Yeah, I, well, yeah, he didn't have a visa. <laughs> but I mean, he he was he okay. He was so wait, in he the country illegally. To, so he pretended but, to commit suicide, yeah, and then just crossed the border legally while his trial was was going on. So well, there was nothing that would have like been flagged in his passport as it was scanned at the border. Well, I don't think I don't think he entered legally. I don't have info. There's nothing about how he actually got into Canada. The only thing I found out is that um, people are pretty sure that his 
family, or at the very least his aunt, he was very close to his aunt, um, that she helped him get into Canada. Right. Okay. But the immigrant, the violation of the Immigration Act is actually working without a permit. Okay. Because he's not Canadian. Yeah. He has no visa. Right. Go on. (laughs) All right. Okay. No working permits. Go on. Yes. So he is found guilty on all charges. I don't know what he got in terms of a prison sentence. Mm -hmm. But in 2001, he received an indeterminate sentence because he was declared a dangerous offender. Yes. And that should be the end of this story, that Shrubsall is rotting in prison forever. Right. But turns out he was granted full parole in January of this year. Well, how the fuck did that happen? This year is 2019, by the way, (laughs) if you're listening in the future. (sighs) Okay, so what the shit's going on? Yeah, no shit. That's bullshit. (laughs) It is bullshit. So... When you're declared a dangerous offender, you can apply for parole, but I think it's seven years out after the declaration. And then you can apply for parole every two years. And he was always denied. Um, But for whatever reason, technically it was in November 2018, he was approved and then he was released in January. Everyone advised against paroling this guy. The prosecutor, even the Correctional Service of Canada was like, so don't the fuck let did this, this happen. Who, who approved this? The judge? The, the parole board of Canada. They're the ones who decide. Okay. So they're like, everybody says this guy should not be on parole. But hey, what the fuck? He seems like an okay dude. <laughs> yeah. So Shrubsall being labeled a dangerous offender was a way to keep him locked up indefinitely. Mm. Because... You know, we've complained about this in the past. I, we don't think that people accused or charged or found guilty of rape get long enough prison sentences. And we don't really yeah. do consecutive sentencing in this country. No. Um, the Crown Attorney Paul Carver, he fought to get the dangerous offender ruling and worked so hard on this that he found a woman that Shrubsall had assaulted when she was 14 years old and she never went to the police about it. She came forward at the dangerous offender hearing to tell her story. And he still got parole. Yeah. And so as a final insult to all of his victims, he was set free. Every woman out there. And yeah. But he's not he's not like free and walking around. He was deported to the US. I know, but still, like it's still still bullshit. But in the US, he'll serve up to seven years and could be out in like two and a half or something like that. That's bullshit. Total bullshit. So in its decision to release Shrubsall, who has legally changed his name to Ethan Simon Templer McLeod. Wow. That's, yeah, it's a mouthful. Uh-huh. The parole board said that he is, sorry, he's still an undue risk to society, but it trusted this would change after his U.S. prison sentence. Quoting the parole board. You face many more years of incarceration, which will give you the benefit to continue to better yourself in a secured environment. Is this also because Canada just doesn't want to pay for his incarceration anymore? So they're just like, get the f- him the fuck out of here? I honestly wouldn't be surprised if that factored into it. Right. So I have a final quote here, and this is from 
Carver, the prosecutor, the crown attorney. So this is what he has to say about the parole board's decision. This is the triumph of hope over reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, that's, and that's and that's optimistic in itself. Right? So this fucking guy. So the states, of course, is furious. They don't want this guy back in their country walking around. Paying for him. Pay, well, like paying for him. And then like he'll be released in seven years, max probably. Because he like keeps to himself in prison. He doesn't cause trouble. But he also, like the th- therapy that he's supposed to undergo in prison, just like it isn't taking. Like he doesn't, he hasn't, it took him a really long time to even admit that he'd done anything wrong. Right. Right. And it says here, in prison, he was caught distributing porn and possessing a document that appeared to rate the members of a college volunteer group by their appearance. He also has a, sorry, he also has, quote, stalking issues around female correctional staff, end quote. It's like, nothing about this guy has changed. No, he hasn't been corrected. Not, no. No. <laughs> There's like a 100% rate or chance of recidivism with this yeah, guy. Absolutely. <laughs> But he's the U.S.'s problem now, and the U.S. is pissed about it, understandably. And But if he, if he go, and there's nothing to prevent him from returning to Canada, but if he does, he has to check in with the parole board. Oh, fuck. <laughs> okay. Is that all you got? That's all I got. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> How awful is that? So I did a little bit of research. Uh-huh, right. Yeah, you're going to educate us all on what it means to be a dangerous offender. Yes, I am. So I got this from the Department of Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness, oh. which I didn't even know we had, which makes sense, but I just never even thought of it before. <laughs> so, so if you want to go and, and do this, it's, it's pretty much top. It's like the, one of the top hits on uh, a Google search, actually. So this is a oh. Government of Canada site. Okay. So it's pretty legit. <laughs> So it's not like I got this from like a McLean's article, even though that might not be What's what wrong with McLean's? Well, okay, like uh, the Inquirer. Okay, I didn't get it Let's, from the okay. Inquirer. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, so essentially, dangerous offender, um, you can be designated a, da- a dangerous offender um, in, if a sentencing court is satisfied that the offender constitute a threat to life safety or the physical or mental well-being of the public. Okay. And I think in Shrubsall's course, uh, our instance i think that would definitely be yes yes <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. the history of the legislation i was actually kind of introduced it was interesting it was introduced in 1947 oh yeah repeat offenders uh were called habitual offenders okay um and if you were convicted of three or more separate indictable offenses that would meant you were uh quote unquote persisting persistently leading a criminal life <laughs> you would be found and sentenced to indeterminate imprisonment okay in 1948, um, they they added a dangerous sexual offender designation. All right. Okay. In 48. 48. Wow. Yeah. I know, right? That's actually kind of impressive. I know. Whether actually they did anything about it is another thing altogether. But... <laughs> <laughs> At least they were thinking about it in 48. Yeah. Okay. So over the next three decades, there was the habitual offender, criminal sexual psychopath, um, and these were other terms, but they were also under a ton of criticism that wasn't very accurate. So in 1969, a total overhaul of the regime was recommended. Okay. 
Okay. So then, and then in 77, I don't know why it almost took 10 years, but whatever. The current <laughs> dangerous offender system, is, which is part 24, thank you for being able to read Roman numerals, of the criminal code <laughs> was created. And then the next time it actually changed was in 1997, when Parliament amended the criminal code to introduce the long-term offender designation. So this also means this was a, a kind of the introduction. Peace bonds have been around since 1892. Did you know that? Really? I didn't yeah. know so that. So peace bonds are restra like restraining orders. So they've been around since 1892. Yeah. And um, so people who are restricting to who are trying to get a restraining order uh, if they feared that someone was a threat to him or herself or their families. And in 1990s, the three additional types of orders were introduced. I thought a which peace allowed bond was more like probation. It's like, okay, we'll let you, you can walk around and live your life, but if you get into trouble, it's, you don't pass go. Yeah, they're kind of like, you go straight you're not to allowed, jail. Well, it's kind of like a peace bond is kind of like a lesser version of a restraining order officially in the sense they're like, just don't go around these fucking people. Okay, like you're the, not allowed to. The, the crossbow killer was out on a peace bond. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't He wasn't supposed to go near the family. Oh, okay. So I guess I've got it backwards then. I thought a peace bond was like, yeah, like probation as opposed to sort of a lesser degree restraining order. I didn't know that. Okay. Well, here, I will read you what the government of Canada says. Oh, and this then will be very can... clear, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Peace bonds, also known as judicial restraint orders, okay. and sureties to keep the peace have existed in the Canadian criminal law since 1892. Initially, the law simply allowed individuals to seek a restraining order if she or he feared that someone was a threat to him, herself, or their families. Okay. So, there you have it. Oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> I was expecting there to be more. <laughs> no. No. This is just a summary. And honestly, if you go onto the site, there is so much more information right. um but i a don't have a law degree like the producer in the background <laughs> and b and b um i was not willing to sift through probably hundreds of pages okay fair <laughs> so enough you can find the link if you go to the department of public safety and emergency preparedness <laughs> i'll put it in the show notes for everyone there you go you want some some good so, bedtime reading yeah. So in the in the 1990s, three additional types of orders were introduced. So they allowed justice officials um, and others in the courts to impose conditions on an individual if they were um, afraid that the person would commit a crime, um, like an organized organized crime problems, terrorism problems, or sexual offense against someone under the age of 16 years. So, or a serious personal injury offense. So they just kind of like made sure they kind of covered all their bases. Right. So the next time anything really, really changed was to the high risk offender provisions were in the tackling the tackling violent crime bill. That's what it's called. The tackling violent oh crime bill that came into force on July 2nd, 2008. So these reforms included um, a couple of provisions. So an offender who had a third conviction for a violent or sexual crime that was a sentence of two years or more is now presumed automatically to be a dangerous offender. And if to the two convictions um, and the previous convictions, well, so if they had three convictions and the third was a, a sentence of two or more years, uh -huh. then they would be considered a dangerous offender. If they had two previous convictions that actually had a sentence of two years or more for sure, then they are um, a dangerous offender. 
Okay. So, and the offender is given the opportunity why she, he or she is not a, de- a designated dangerous offender, but they're automatically presumed to be at that point. Interesting. Because I just, I read this thing about this woman who had been declared the most dangerous woman in Canada. And she was like the second woman ever to get a dangerous offender designation. Yeah. And I was, I'm like, oh, what did she do? And it's like, just a lot of petty shit. But it, she yeah. was just like in and it was like a revolving door with her and jail essentially sounds like a really terrible criminal so but like (laughs) i don't think like posed a real danger to anybody in particular like i don't think she was violent but i guess because she had so many charges against her and had been in and out of jail or prison so many times it just automatically applied right okay well it sounds like well essentially no you're you their dangerous offender can be like a threat to public safety. Always. Yeah. Okay. So, so that public might have safety. Been it. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, um, but this guy Shrubsall didn't have any of that. No. So I'm I'm not done. These oh, okay. Yet. Sorry. Jesus Christ! Stop Just... cutting me off, bitch. <laughs> like you had your day in the sun. I know. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. <laughs> Thank you. Fuck. <laughs> Crazy bitch. All right. Um. No, 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 I lost my place. There we go. When an individual is convicted for a third time of a designated offense, the Crown Prosecutor has a duty to confirm to the court that a dangerous offender application has been considered. All right. Okay? Yep. So, and this designation, by the way, if you are classified as a dangerous offender, it's for life. You can never, never drop that title. Oh, okay. So, and once designated one, the court will impose a sentence that must ensure public safety that can be either an indeterminate sentence of imprisonment with no chance of parole for seven years, as we previously discussed, mm-hmm. a regular sentence of imprisonment for the offense, plus a long-term supervision order in the community of up to 10 years okay. after the regular sentence has expired, or a regular sentence of imprisonment for the offense. So what would be the point in that third case of even having the designation? If it's like, you're a dangerous <laughs> I- offender, but, you know... We're not really going to do anything about it. And once you leave prison, that's it. I don't know. Maybe it's like people like your crazy lady. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she's a dangerous offender now. She Well, she, if she has a designation, she has it for life. She was at once upon a time. Yeah. Weird. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So, um, if basically, and also if you've been designated as a dangerous offender, then um, peace bonds and all of the issues of um like they can track you so essentially if it can be you can have restraining orders so on and so forth so they can include residency like so basically house arrest electronic monitoring treatment and so on and so forth so they basically can order you to be essentially just found if they want to right if you are let go right so there you go okay yeah do you have a stupid crime of course i have a stupid crime Okay, so our stupid crime comes from 2013, going back in time. So this guy was caught breaking into his mother's house. Okay. Where he wasn't welcome, it didn't have any stuff, and was arrested for burglary. Okay. And he thought you could only be charged or you could only be arrested for burglary at night. He's breaking really? in during the day. Yes. Nice. nice. <laughs> Idiot. 
Yeah. Well, there you go. Burglary <laughs> can happen at any time. <laughs> it's an anytime crime. If you're caught during the day, you get the same sentence as if you're, if caught, you're caught at night. At night. Yes. Okay. <laughs> nice. Do you want to hear mine? Lay it on me. All right. So here's my stupid Canadian law. And this goes out to Saskatchewan for her lovely, um, helpful, <laughs> helpful comments. So this is from Kuapel, uh, Saskatchewan. I'm not, I don't know if they would say it differently out there. I'm not going to pretend to. So, uh, Rachel, have you ever just not bothered to do up your shoes? Yeah, totally. I know. And have you ever just walked around with your shoes untied? Yep. Don't do it in that town because it's forbidden. <laughs> There's a local law. Oh, my God. You cannot walk around with your shoes untied in Capel, Saskatchewan. <laughs> love to Schedule. see the bylaw enforcement officer yeah. writing tickets to kids with their shoes on. I know, right? My niece would be so screwed. <laughs> she doesn't do up her shoes? Never, ever. And she always wears on um, socks that are not matching. You should get it. You know, it'll be a hilarious gift. Velcro no. shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She'd probably find a way to not do those up also. Oh, I right? <laughs> so anyway, so that's all I got. Oh my God. Brilliant. I love it. <laughs> so that that'll be a, it let me try that again <laughs> that'll be it for us this week there we go yep um what do i want to say yeah be sure to i was gonna say check out the website but we don't have that anymore um if you like what you hear g- uh, please give us a five-star review it helps other people find us on your well, I guess Apple Podcasts. If yeah, and if you really, and if you don't like us, you are fine with crappy reviews. Just keep them crit- like constructive. Keep it constructive. Exactly. We're in this together, people. Yeah, because we're not going away. You might, but we're still here. <laughs> we're still here doing this, <laughs> screaming into the void. Uh, you can send us an email at True North Crime Pod. You can. Tweet us at True North Crime. No, sorry, TNC underscore POD. And you can Facebook us at True North Crime Pod if you so desire. We would love to hear from you. And I guess until next time, I have been Rachel. And I've been Shelly. And stay safe out there. Yeah, like not dangerously safe. <laughs> not dangerously safe. <laughs> Tie up your shoes. Tie your shoelaces. Tie your shoelaces. There you go. (laughs) 